Somebody was supposed to read scripture, so I'll do that. Let's stand together. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Please be seated. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for the tremendous encouragement it is to us. And it really fits into what's already been shared in this service when we think of uh, the many prayers we've prayed that are still unfinished business. And as we look to you to fulfill those and as we follow the Holy Spirit in understanding how all that takes place. So thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Amen. This is episode three of the pilgrimage. We're looking at the Psalms of Ascent and uh, realizing that we also are pilgrims. And we are moving through the pre-apocalyptic landscape of a fallen world toward a better country. Spiritually, we're refugees who have realized the world is not enough. That we were made for something more than this and that we have a higher calling. And so as we pass by the unsuspecting public who are shoveling their sidewalks or watering their lawns or walking their dogs, we may shake our heads and pray, Oh God, thank you that we are not like other people, like these sinners. What are your thoughts as you drive to church on Sunday morning past shopping center parking lots filled with vehicles of people who are trying to get their Christian discount? People who obviously have little interest in spiritual things. Do you just say, oh well, the narrow way that leads to life is one that very few will find? Well, I hope that's not your attitude, because in biblical times, a company of pilgrims was not a closed group. We are the magnificent seven, don't mess with the math. Pilgrims always had room for more. Come join us. And many did. Sure, why not? I mean, misery loves company, right? I think it had a lot to do with their attitude. If the pilgrims walking through your village were weeping and whining, no one would be interested in joining them. We don't want to become part of a funeral procession. But if those pilgrims were singing and laughing and celebrating, it would be contagious. They must be heading towards a feast. Can we come? Pilgrims were not getting ready for a lamentation. They were rehearsing for a celebration. And Psalm 126 captures some of that positive energy. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. For the Hebrews, life was hard. They had a lot to complain about. Just read the book of Psalms. But they also really knew how to celebrate. 
I shared before the incident when I went to Israel in 1988. We arrived in Jerusalem after a long flight. We were tired and hungry, and so we went to a restaurant to eat a quick meal and then get some downtime, downloading our consciousness on the most comfortable mattress we could find. But it was Friday night, so it was the beginning of the Sabbath, and the whole restaurant was filled with Yemenite Jews who very likely would have been refugees because they came from an Arab country. Maybe they lost their possessions and even some of their loved ones. And our table was right in the middle. And so we finished our meal and were waiting for the bill when suddenly one table started singing. And then another table responded to them. And then a third. And soon everyone was singing. It was surround sound. And their joy was so contagious, we sat there for over an hour just absorbing the energy of that celebration, and we totally forgot how tired we were. The only other time I've seen anything like that is in African churches. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. The question is, is joy one of the obvious consequences of our faith? I've talked to unbelievers who think that Christianity has nothing to do with joy. The word on the street is that the church is boring. The people there are just so serious all the time. They think that laughter is a sin. So let's get ready to grumble. Karl Marx, the founder of communism, claimed he had a blueprint for a better world. And he said the first requisite for people's happiness is the abolition of religion. Comedian Groucho Marx, no relation was approached by a minister who said, I want to thank you for all the joy that you've brought into the world. And Groucho replied, I want to thank you for all the joy you've taken out of the world. That's the rumor. Is that also the reality? When we see how broken the world is, it's easy to get cynical and join the funeral procession. But we happen to be following Jesus who is continually criticized by the Pharisees for enjoying himself too much. His first miracle was at a wedding celebration where he turned water into wine so the festivities could continue. The religious authorities were often offended and asked, why aren't your disciples fasting? It was a scandal. Jesus eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. At his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, his followers were so excited that the Pharisees asked him to rebuke them. These men are breaking the noise bylaw. And Jesus says, well, if they keep silent, the stones are going to cry out. And then on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit filled their lives, the disciples were so excited, the crowds had to gather to see what was going on. Some of them thought that they must have been inebriated. And of course, they weren't drunk on wine, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They simply couldn't contain their joy. And later, Acts 2 talks about how the early church was togethering with glad and sincere hearts. And when Peter and John went into the temple, he healed the crippled man who was begging by the gate, and they went into the courts, and the man was walking and leaping and praising God. The life of faith has many opportunities for joy and celebration. And we don't have to wait until our problems are solved or our prayers are answered. And we don't have to let disappointment sabotage our joy. We can actually interrupt our problems with praise. 
Because it's not hard to find reasons for rejoicing. It is all around us. For example, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Godly joy builds, first of all, on the past. The Hebrews could look back on the great things that God had done for them, delivering them from slavery in Egypt, returning the exiles from Babylon. We were like men who dreamed. We couldn't believe this was happening. It was like a dream. It was too good to be true. That's why thousands of years later, they're still celebrating the great things that God has done. Oh yeah, the parting of the Red Sea. Yeah, well that was pretty good, I guess. Restoration of Jerusalem, that was okay. But I really hope I can win a roll up to rim. We all have the capacity for joy, but maybe the pilot light is on. What we need to do is ignite the burners. You know, for me that happens virtually every Sunday during worship time, I come here with my flickering faith, and then as the words magnify the Lord, I forget about my problems, and joy fills my being. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. And of course, as New Testament Christians, we have even more data, more hard evidence, exceeding abundantly more reasons for rejoicing because through his death and resurrection, Jesus has given us forgiveness of sins, victory over death. You know, if the contestants on Family Feud can scream and jump for joy when they win $20,000... How much more reason do we have to rejoice in the Lord? We don't need the prosperity gospel because that's just pocket change. The Lord has done great things for us. And you know, the nations took notice of that, of the joyful celebrations in Israel. When the pilgrims passed through their land, they asked, where are you going? We're going to Jerusalem to celebrate. Well, what do you have to celebrate? You're poor. You're destitute. Oh, we're celebrating the great things that God has done for us. The nations took notice of it. Do we have a reputation for joy? Do people that we know suspect that God has done great things for us? This week, why not uh, make a David Letterman list? Some of the top ten things God has done for you in your lifetime, apart from salvation. And meditate on those ten things. And, and write out ten short testimonies of two, three paragraphs each. Giving God glory for those things that he's done in your life. The things that you can't forget. <clears throat> and then <clears throat> find an opportunity to tell somebody about them this, next, this coming year. See if you can tell all ten of those to somebody, different people. Maybe we can even have a sharing time at church and look at some of those things. God has done great things for us, and we need to tell people. Christine did that this morning. That's what, that's, that's what makes our faith vivid and real. So we are on a journey, a pilgrimage, and as we follow Jesus through this broken world, we are 
disturbed by what we see, but we are defined by what God has done for us. So joy is the common denominator of all those on the pilgrimage. And more than anything else, that, that is what creates curiosity and will draw people to join us. Because two things draw a crowd, either a calamity or a celebration. So the joy of the Lord is our best evangelistic opportunity. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. When I think of that, I remember the wedding celebrations we used to have here back in the 80s. And they were, the receptions were downstairs. And those who weren't used to church would come in and sort of moan, oh, there's no alcohol here, we're not going to have any fun. This is going to be really boring. And at the end of the evening, it was amazing how many people would say, I didn't know Christians could have so much fun. I've never laughed so hard in my life. I think that had a tremendous impact. Joy has a tremendous impact on unbelievers. And our joy builds on what God has done in the past, but also borrows from the future. In verse 4 it says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. We can enjoy the future today by anticipation. The future often looked bleak to Israel. The Negev was one of the driest areas in that entire region. Planting any there, anything there would be utterly futile. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow. But even in that area, there were sudden unexpected rains that fell on the parched soil. And what a transformation, because in that soil there were dormant seeds. And soon the desert would just become ablaze with color and life and the wasteland became a garden. You just had to wait for it. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now I know that you have been planting a lot of seeds. You've been sowing seeds in the hearts and minds of your family and friends, your colleagues at work, the guys on the team, the moms at the playground. But very little has happened. They're not interested. It's discouraging. So you've sown those seeds in tears. But don't give up hope because those seeds are still embedded in their hearts and minds. Right now they're dormant. But there's going to be a climate change, the good kind. And you will be amazed at the response. And the reason we know that is because of the promises we have in the Bible. God's Word has never lied to us. His promises are true, and this is what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Those last three words, not in vain. Anything you've ever done for the Lord, any person you've ever spoken to, is not in vain. That's what God says. 
It may not look like that now, but that's God's word, and he does not lie. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't get weary. Don't get discouraged. Because there's a harvest coming. Don't give up. Matthew 13 verse 8 says, Seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Way beyond our expectations. Isaiah 55 is a great chapter depicting this whole process, verses, beginning at verse 10. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. And this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. God's word talks about a great harvest that will be the result of all the seeds that have been sown by people like us who have not grown weary, who have not been discouraged, but who have kept planting those seeds. Because those seeds are not annuals, they're perennials. And seeds can lie dormant for decades. All they need is a little bit of moisture and they come to life. The green shoots begin to appear. So there's a lot of dormant seeds in the lives of our loved ones. And when the time comes, we're going to see the results. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The driest desert can be transformed into green pastures and still waters. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. One paraphrase that I found uh, said, So keep planting your seed. You never know which will grow. Perhaps it all will. I love that. That's, that gives me joy. You see, God has done great things in the past, but you ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come. And that first miracle that Jesus performed gives us an insight into the ways of God. It says in John chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it came from. And he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. You see, that's the difference between what the world offers and what Christ offers. Eugene Peterson says that we have an enormous entertainment industry, which is the evidence of the depletion of joy in our culture. You have to try harder and harder to create any kind of joy in people's lives. Society is like a bored, gluttonous king employing a court jester to divert him after an overindulgent meal. 
Our culture offers its best right up front. No waiting. You can have it all. But the thrill wears off. The adrenaline evaporates. It is so difficult to maintain that rush. People are just waiting for the next thing that will give them joy, the next blockbuster movie, the next iPhone, the next tech gadget. Maybe, maybe there'll be joy in that, but how long will that last? We're a society addicted to entertainment and consumerism. No wonder we become cynical. No wonder we ask, is that all there is? Is that all you got? But with Christ, it is radically different. He always saves his best to last. Not only has he done great things in the past, that's just a preview of greater things to come. Because your worst day in heaven is going to be 30, 60, 100 times better than the best day you've ever had in this earth. You're not going to believe what the future is going to look like. And that's why we're on a pilgrimage. Because we don't want to miss that. And we want others to come with us. The more, the merrier. And the greatest joy is going to be seeing the impact your life has had on others. Seeing the fulfillment of your prayers. Because you have sown in tears. That is a fact. But you will reap with joy. That's also just as much a fact. So keep planting your seeds. You never know which will grow. Perhaps it all will. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that through you we have so much reason to celebrate, to rejoice. And we want others to be part of that too. We want to invite as many as possible to join us on this pilgrimage. But may this joy be something that defines our lives because that's what people are looking for and the world simply can't provide that. Their, their hearts were made for more. This world isn't enough because the hearts and minds of all these people were made only to find fulfillment in you. May we be the ones who demonstrate that joy, that they would also want to become part of that. Father, thank you that uh, all those seeds that we've sown that are dormant right now have the potential of spring to life. Send those rains, Lord. Send the waters, the streams. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.